Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. I work with a ministry called Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship. I always feel like I should say this. Uh, I'm not from the South, but I sound sometimes like I'm from the South. Um, we're talking about prayer this morning. Sometimes when I get excited, I don't know where it comes from, but I start, you know, with a little draw or twang or whatever. Um, this morning we're talking about petitionary prayer, and a big part of my prayer journey came from Arizona, from what I refer to as prayer mamas, bringing me alongside of them and teaching me how to pray, to praying with friends in my dormitory, uh, to, I remember someone said to me, did you know God speaks to you and you can hear him? And it just blew up my world, and I was like, what? And growing in like listening prayer and trying to hear God's voice in my life. Um, oh, a lot of formational things took place in Arizona. And so I want to start off this morning by sharing a little story of, of a moment that has helped shape my prayer time in Arizona. And I hope it would bless y'all. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, growing up in Phoenix, Mesa, Arizona, the Phoenix area, there was really only a couple things you could do in the summer. Go to a public pool, um, smell sunscreen, uh, eat a popsicle, and go to a Phoenix Suns basketball game. For my time as a kid, it was all about Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, Steve Nash, Eddie House with his little towel. Those are my dudes. I never, I didn't even know them, but I had an affinity for them. When you go to a game, and you're just like, I love you, Stephen Ash, you know? I also grew up playing church basketball. In church basketball, a lot of drama, <laughs> specifically with parents. Um, so much fun. One season, they took us to a Phoenix Suns basketball game. And I'm up there with my buddies. We're in the nosebleed section, trying to throw paper airplanes down on the court, cheering on Steve Nash. It was incredible. But that's not what made that game so special. Hours before, before anyone was at the game, they invited us to play a basketball game on the Phoenix Suns court. And it was wild. Church ball, you play on courts that have like bubbles <laughs> and they're dusty and crusty. We would play at this lifting gym called Mountainside Fitness where there was no chairs you had to stand up and sometimes lean back during the whole game because it was tight right it wasn't ideal but on this day we got to like step foot on a professional basketball court an nba court that i grew up watching on tv i wasn't good at basketball 
I was kind of a thick little boy with like, you know, I saw players wearing knee-high socks, so I wore knee-high socks. I saw players on TV licking their hands and then wiping their shoes. So I did that, you know? I was like, I was, I won't be like that. But to step on the court, it was incredible. I felt like none of that that I didn't wasn't a great player mattered. I was just like, I get to participate and play in a space that is just bigger than me. And man, I don't remember who won. I don't remember if I made a shot, but I remember having the time of my life, so much joy. When, you're, when you play on an NBA court and then you watch a game, and you, a game and you're watching, you're like, I just got to play there. Your shoe squeaks, you're like, Steve Nash shoe squeaked on that floor. You know, it, it was just crazy. I think our relationship with Jesus is like this. We get to participate. We get to play in something way bigger than ourselves. And it's not that God needs us, right? There's, at one time when Jesus was walking through Jerusalem, he's like, even the rocks will cry out and worship me. He doesn't need us. But because he shares, because he loves us and care, cares about us, he shares his power. He shares his authority where we get to create, we get to build, we get to make impact on people's lives. We get to like pray and things happen, right? It's incredible. One of the ways that God invites us to participate, to play in his kingdom with him is through a gift, a tool that he gives us called petitionary prayer. Um, and this is what I'm going to lean into this morning. What does it mean to participate and play with God through petitionary prayer? Last week, Andrew went through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This opening part is often referred to as the Kaddish. The disciples would have been familiar with this kind of prayer structure, right? Jesus was drawing from a pre-existing prayer. But this next part, Jesus diverts from the familiar. He says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Give us today our daily bread. I hear this and I'm like, oh, Jesus is going to give me a loaf. You know, give me my food. But the disciples would have heard something different. Uh, Jesus was communicating to them that God, their Father, who is holy, wants to provide for them. He wants to provide their daily bread. He wants to forgive them of their sins. My friend made ribs the other day. And I, I have never had smoked ribs on a pellet grill before. And have you ever just eaten something, taken a bite, and you're like, I didn't know food could taste like that. You know? I was looking at pellet grills that hour. <laughs> Ask Annie. She'd be like, he keeps bothering me. He keeps pestering me. You know? Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the disciples heard Jesus praying this prayer, and they'd be like, whoa, 
I didn't know prayer could be like that. You're saying God loves me, cares for me, wants to meet my needs. I think it was like a new flavor for them. That was good news. And the same is true for us. We get to bring our needs to God. Why? Because he cares about us. And we get to bring, because he'll provide for us. In addition to our needs, God also cares about our desires. In John 14, 14, he says, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In Psalm 37, 4 through 6, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. We get to bring our whole self before God and say, God, this is what I need. But also, this is what I desire, what I long for, what I want. Why? Because God cares about you. He cares about you. But if God is all-knowing, all-loving, he can provide everything. Why doesn't he just do it? Why does he need us to ask? Why doesn't he just deliver our needs like an Amazon package to our front porch that we didn't know? Tyler Staten, in Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, says, Prayer in any form by anybody is God's invitation to pull up a chair to the table and enjoy restful, intimate, unbroken conversation with the triune God. When we pray, we bring our whole selves in prayer to God. And it's like we're sitting at the table, the dinner table, building relationship with God of the universe. And, and God invites us to communicate with him because he values us. He values our time, our voice, our conversation. And I know I'm being repetitive, but I, I think this is really incredible stuff. And it's not, again, because he needs us, it's because he wants us. Um, we're talking about petitionary prayer this morning. And in that, Scripture gives us a specific image of how that should look. In Matthew 7, it goes like this. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will be given a snake? Snake. If you then, I got barbecue on the mind. I'm sorry if, that, I'm sorry if that's a distraction. I'm sorry. Lord, take that, hold that distraction for a minute. You, if you then... You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The Greek in this is this continuous present tense. You got to ask, but keep on asking. You got to seek, but keep on seeking. You got to knock and keep on knocking. There is this level of tenacity and perseverance and maybe even annoyance <laughs> in this when we are keep on holding our needs, our, our longings, our desires before God. But what does God do with 
deep these prayers, our prayers. What happens to them? Peter Craig describes God's interaction with our prayers by comparing them to a stoplight. Sometimes our prayers are like a green light, and they get answered like that right away. Sometimes we get the yellow light from God, and it's those times he's inviting us to wait and keep on pursuing in prayer. But then there's these times it's like we get a red light in prayer. And for reasons we just don't fully understand, God seems to be saying no, not at this moment, not at this time. In a few Sundays, Robert's going to be preaching about unanswered prayers. And so without getting too deep into it, I I just want to acknowledge and just, because I think, and I'm willing to bet there's just prayers in this room with us that we are desperate for God to that we've been praying and sharing our needs and our desires with him, but we just feel like we keep, our, we keep getting red lights. We're praying for finances, family, for health, and it just seems like nothing happens. I like what Peter says. Peter Craig, he encourages, and he says, in those times, it's important to hold on to God's love. And I would add, in those times, it's important to hold on to God's love with others. Um, We're not meant to always pray alone. It should be a communal perseverance. Like the Phoenix Suns, they lost to the Nuggets, but they're going to communally come back, right? Uh, We we walk together um, holding each other's burdens. Right, we we've talked about that. Like, carry each other's burdens, and that should definitely include our burdens in prayer. This is petitionary prayer. In Luke eleven five through thirteen, the message translation, Jesus and Luke get more specific in what it looks like to persevere and cling on. Then he said, imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up, and I don't have a thing on him. The friend answered from his bed, don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are all down for the night. I just, I'm like, my kid's sleeping, and you're coming to my door at Whatever hour of the night, I'm not giving you bread. Uh, I can't get up to give you anything. The guy gets a red light. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground, knocking and waking all the neighbors, that's an interesting image, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get Seek and you'll find, and the door will be open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit? 
Petitionary prayer is sometimes like dominoes. You keep placing them and placing them and placing them and placing them until someone comes along and flicks it and the whole thing just comes knocking down. God invites us to keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep petitioning before him as if our prayers were like these dominoes being placed. And then there's a flick. And the whole thing comes down, and then there's just this break. Have you ever been around a little kid that just keeps on asking you? They get fixated. You tell them you're going to the park, and you're like, that was the biggest mistake I ever made. I said I was going to the park. They just keep pestering and bugging you. I, when I was a kid, um, elementary school, Christmas was on the horizon, and Razor scooters had just come out. You know what I'm saying? And... I was upset, and I let my parents know how obsessed I was. But I didn't just want a Razor scooter. I wanted the one with green handles and a green sticker, and it had these lights on the back so when you come around the corner, people knew what time it was. And it had a Healy bar, and you could do wheelies on it. And I remember writing letters to my parents, you know, this is the one I want. Or we would be at the dinner table on, like, Saturday. And be like, you know what would be fun after dinner if we go to Sports Authority and check out those Razor scooters with the green handles and the heat bar and the lights? And it was just constant, right? Um, Luke, in a different translation, refers to this, like, neighbor as this shameless audacity in prayer. They're not willing to give up. They persevere. They might even be desperate. And sometimes they rally others to help persevere with them. Our prayers are bigger and more important than my raising scooter. But what would happen if we had this childlike posture with shameless audacity in prayer? What might happen if we held on to God's love and persevered in prayer in this way? What would happen if me, I struggle with persevering in prayer. Sometimes I get bored. Um, I, I get impatient. Um, sometimes my pride gets in the way. And I'm just like, I'll just, I'm just going to do it on my own. I don't need you, God. Or sometimes I doubt that God actually does care about me. We all hear, God loves you. But sometimes it's like I hear that. I'm like, well, God loves everyone else. But does he really love me enough to provide for me? Sometimes I don't even think when I'm praying that my needs or desires are holy enough or, like, important enough for God. Or sometimes I wonder about God's bank account. Just like, does he, is he really got that big of a bank account? I have this scarcity mindset that I'm just like, his resources are limited. And when I'm in these, like, mindsets, my prayers and my petitions often just take on a vague, and general flavor, like a rib not cooked on the telephone. <laughs> just, just kidding. Um, have you ever been to dinner with somebody and they're paying for your dinner, and you look at the menu and you're just like, oh man, right there, that steak sounds really good. But you're like, I want to be considerate. I'm going to get the cheaper option. We hold back, you know, something. And sometimes I think like prayers with God are like that. I'm longing or have this real big need, but I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to pray some vague prayer, you know, like, 
God, would you just bless me here? Which isn't a bad prayer. But there's this sense of, like, withholding. Sometimes I won't even communicate my prayer needs. They're not even vague in general. They're just non-existent. Um, have you ever had someone where you like, how can I pray for you? And the response is, well, you could pray for my family, my home, my job, or whatever. And it's all like external, directed on someone else's prayer needs. Um, like, Matt, how can I pray for you? And sometimes they're like, well, you can pray, you know, for my students on campus. You know, they're coming to the end of the semester, and I really want them to finish well. You can pray for Annie or my son, Sam. I really want him to come to know the Lord. These aren't bad prayers, but that wasn't the question. They asked me, how can they pray for me? Um, instead, I might answer, and this is something I'm really trying to lean into, is just like being vulnerable and genuine and honest in my prayer before God and before others. Um, you know, you could pray for me by, like, I'm having trouble being present with Sam. I'm noticing I'm on my screen a lot. And I'm just like, I want to be more present. So pray that I would have release and I think how we pray to God, or if we pray, often reflects how we view God, what we think of him and his love. In this season right now, I've just been really thinking about the story of the prodigal son. And I'm like, I kind of resonate with the second one. I won't go through the whole story, but I want to give you just an ESPN highlight for those that might not know the story. This son asks his father for his inheritance, basically saying, I can't wait for you to die. Can I just get my money now? He goes off, lives this buck wild life. <laughs> he struggles, comes back. The father was so excited and happy to see him. He runs to him throws him this big feast and celebration. And then the older brother, the older son, it's just myth about it. It's like, bro, you, you didn't even, I've been with you this whole time. You didn't even give me a goat to kick it with my friend. You know, there, there wasn't even like a celebration. His view of his father is one that he thinks, father doesn't really care about me. He doesn't notice me. He, he doesn't provide for me. I, I wonder if he just is thinking his father is stingy, his father is cruel and unfair. He holds this view of the father that has influenced his interactions with his dad. But when you look at the story and you're like, is the father actually cruel, actually doesn't care, you know? You don't see it. It's hard to you, you don't see it. You see this father's generosity to his son as his, the younger son asks for his inheritance. And he gives you see when he comes back after realizing that wasn't the best or whatever, he was hungry, his father runs to him. And in that culture for men to run, it was not okay. It was kind of scandalous and shameful. And, like, and so his father's like, I love, I'm just going to run to him. And he throws in this huge, huge party to say, like, I'm so glad you're back you're alive, you're back in my home, we're together. And so when the, the, the dad answers the older son, after this older son kind of shares this, he says, one of the things he says is like, man, all that I have is yours. It's as if the older son never asked the father. 
He never sought the Father, knocked. Um, I wonder what might have happened, what might have changed if the older son, if he simply asked and seeked and knocked. He probably would have gotten that goat and had a party with friends, you know. I'm talking a lot about me. I don't mean to, you know, do that, but it's, what it's, it's what's here. Um, a few weeks ago, I, sh- I shared a little bit about my visit to Asbury University. And I wanted to share a little bit more about that trip because I feel like God's been using that and this prodigal son story to really refresh me in prayer and, and just re- help me to rethink and restructure. Um, so I'm going to share a little excerpt from my journal. It says, your diary. Are you there, God? It's me. <laughs> uh, it says, it says, I heard that was a good movie, by the way. Can you hear me, God? It's me, Margaret. Got 99% Ron Tomatoes. <laughs> when I first sat down in Hughes Auditorium on Ash Wednesday, I started crying almost immediately. Students were packing into the chapel, and there was sound of gentle worship music coming from the stage, led by a few college students. There was an overwhelming but gentle sense of God's love. No one said it, but I could feel it. A student next to me, Landon, turned and whispered in a gentle tone, this is incredible, and God is here. For me, God's love felt palpable. I felt like I heard God say to me that first night, Matt, you can ask me for whatever you want. I was reminded of the second son in the prodigal son story, where the father turned to him and shared, all that I have is you. God was affirming this and, and, and saying to me, ask me for anything. All that I have, Matt, is yours. It was as if he was handing me a blank check and inviting me to share my deepest desires and longings and, and needs. I was later asked, I was like, they were like, what did you ask for? And I was like, everything. <laughs> you know, I went hard to the paint. Um, uh, I brought my deepest desires about me and my family and my community, this church, before the Lord as if it was going to happen. In that room, it truly felt like a Psalm 23 moment where, where God was just like, the Lord is our shepherd and we lack nothing. A limitless God who wanted nothing but to bless us. There was radical generosity in the room. People were given money, given time. One guy I don't, I, was like, hey, Someone just asked if they can buy me a new car. They said, can I take you to the dealership? And I, they didn't know it, but I came here in a car that is absolutely trashed. People were being fully loved, fully seen, fully provided for. There wasn't scarcity or fear, fear but open palms that said, God, all that I have, it's yours. And why do we say that? Because we believed in that space that all that the Lord had was ours. We just needed to ask. Another quote from the book, Praying Mike, Playing, oh my goodness, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, Tyler Staten says, We dream of a God who brings heaven to earth. God dreams of a praying to people to share heaven with. He goes on to say, If God gave you everything you prayed for in the last week. What would happen? You are a ruler, a co-heir with Christ, a manager of heavenly 
resources. What are you doing with all that authority? If we really took Jesus seriously on the invitation to pray, what would happen? What would happen to you? What would happen in our community? What would happen in our city? Isn't it worth finding out? This past fall, a group of students took this seriously, and they embraced this posture of shameless audacity and petitionary prayer um, that had, that is still shaping new things on campus. Um, they started off, this group of three, three women, Megan, Gianna, and Ramaya, they started off by doing a listening prayer where they just simply asked God, Jesus, like, what are, what are the corners of campus you want us to pray for? And in that prayer time, for a group of them, they felt like God was leading them to pray for a fraternity on campus called Fuji. Um, so from October of this past October to now, these three women basically almost prayed every day, holding these prayers. Um, they prayed incrementally in which they prayed for small next steps. They didn't just ask the Lord, you know, start something in Greek life on campus. They got specific and came at it from different vantage points. Instead of saying, Lord, bring revival to the Greek system, which they did pray for, they said, would these specific members of the fraternity be open and curious about you? Would they trust Christians? They prayed for a Bible study to start. They also held on to God's promises by praying scripture. They, they, the one that I love, they, they prayed the scripture around Zacchaeus, and they said, you know, Jesus, you ate with Zacchaeus. And a lot of people did not like that dude. And a lot of people don't like these guys on campus. They get, they get cast a lot of shades. I'm sure when I say fraternity boys, an image comes to mind. And they're like, they have a lot of reputation, a lot of stereotypes. But how do you see them, God? Would you sit with them at their table and transform their life? Uh, around Ash Wednesday, um, when I went to Asbury, they found out that a student from Fiji fraternity randomly started a Bible study. And they, they got to connect with this student at the Collegiate Day of Prayer. And he said, yeah, I held a Bible study and like 15 guys showed up. And I, I couldn't understand why. I was blown away. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Three women committed to praying. A couple weeks later, on our Instagram ministry account, this random dude just direct messages me and said, hey, my name's Aiden. Um, I'd like to grow in my faith. You know, I want to reconnect with God. I saw this ministry. We're called InterVarsity. And so I think he thought it was a sports thing. We do sports, but we're not sports. A lot of unathletic people. Not to, not to that. I love them, but yeah. We played, we played volleyball yesterday, and let's just say we ate popsicles. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I, it turned out Aiden was from the fraternity Pike on campus. We grabbed lunch, and what that's turned into is this small group Bible study with him and his fraternity brothers, leaders of that fraternity, coming to study scripture 
and it was crazy a couple weeks ago. There was a hard thing on campus that happened specifically within their fraternity, and we were praying and studying scripture, and the Spirit was, the Holy Spirit just came down on that room. One guy, Aiden, was just like, Aiden was just like, I just feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said he loves me. One guy was just like weeping because we were praying into his identity, and he just like, I've never heard that about me. I mean, come on. Like, prayer can do some incredible things. My strategies are not that good. My efforts are not that strong. But God took these prayers of these three women and began to do a new powerful, transformative work in these party rappers that are going to be the leader of this next generation, perhaps the church. We get to participate and play in something much bigger. If we really took Jesus seriously on the invitation to pray, and what would happen? What would happen to you? What would happen to our community? What would happen in our city? Isn't it worth finding out? To end, I want to I wanna pray. We're going to petitionary prayer this place. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to ask, and we're going to seek, and we're going to knock. And I invite us to have this childlike posture of shameless audacity. Um, and worship team, would you come up? Worship team's going to play some instrumental music so there isn't, we get to, you know, they're going to play some instrumental music and bless us. Sometimes it can get, like, awkward. Music helps. Um, I'm going to be up here. I'll have Robert come up here. Um, Members of the prayer team are here. I invite you to come up and pray with people. Um, but I, I want to take this time to group up with some people around us and pray with them. You can share your needs, like this is what I need prayer for, and pray for those needs. You can just start praying for your needs, and then everyone kind of holds those prayers. But I, I invite you to, to hold on to six things in prayer this morning. Be specific. Tell God exactly what you need and what your longings are. Be specific. Pray with others. Be vulnerable with others. Um, pray incrementally. So sometimes that's helpful. If you have a prayer, what's the next step in that prayer? That can help you get more specific. Um, if you're stuck, number four, ask Jesus to teach you how to pray at this moment. The disciples did it. He gave them a ball in prayer. Jesus, how, teach me how to pray. What do you want me to know? Take a pause and listen. Um, five, hold on to God's promises. Maybe there's some scripture that comes to mind. Pray some scripture around your requests, your needs, your desires. And then the sixth one is just be childlike in your prayer and having the shame of audacity. And how does that look like for us this morning? How do we, how do we just keep doing that? Keep bringing our prayers. I invite you to pray on your own, pray with some people around you, and then come up and get some prayer. And just like, I'm going to keep going, you know, after service, pull some people off, like, hey, can we pray into this? Sometimes we're just like, I'll pray for you. No, man, pray in the moment. Let's pray. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to open us up in prayer. Give us about 10 minutes or so. We'll pray, and then I'll come back up and um, lead us in the time of uh, communion. 
Holy Spirit, man, we ask that you would loosen us up. May we participate and play with you this morning in prayer. Would you inspire us to pray? I rebuke in the name of Jesus from this room this lie that says our prayers have got to sound good. No, they don't. You just got to be honest and communicate. Would you help us to be real in prayer with one another? Plant seeds of revival in this room that raise up a, a new and fresh and deeper culture of prayer, and we would see things shift in this church, in us, in our city. Not for our glory, but for yours. So come on, Jesus. Teach us to pray. So I invite you to group up with some people around you or come up and get prayer. Um, you can also pray on your own if you're more comfortable with that as well. We're going to take about 10 minutes to pray.
Testament. We're going to do some communion. If you're, if you're still praying, I invite you to keep praying. Um, we get to remember the, the, the sacrifice and the love of Jesus as we take the wine or juice and bread. Jesus gave his blood. He gave his body for us. And so um, when you come up, we're doing come up along the out and then come back through the middle. Is that okay? <laughs> out and middle. <laughs> okay. Um, and I invite you, uh, I'll give you some time to take it on your own, but just pray with God around that. That, that's, a, that's a deeper level of love than I, than I know. Um, and I invite you to just say thank you and lean into some quality time with Jesus as you take your communion. Cool. Lord, we pray you bless this time of communion. Will we draw close to you? Will you draw close to us? Thank you for all that you do, all, that you're, all of your love. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.